Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. We expose the existential threats to America and to Americans. We discuss the news of the day. Joining me today is Bing West, a former Assistant Secretary of Defense and a combat Marine. He's also a New York Times bestselling author. His latest book is The Last Platoon, a novel of the Afghanistan War. So we'll be discussing his piece, Keeping the Pineapple Express Rolling, How to Rescue More Afghans After Biden's Deadline Expires. That was just out a day or two ago. And then there's an earlier piece I really want to dwell on, which came out uh, on August 26th. Who Will Trust Us After Afghanistan? The Disaster in Brief. Uh, We'll talk about both those pieces with Bing. There are a few things I'd like to discuss first. It is uh, Wednesday morning. I was on Fox last night on Brett Baer's show, The Paddle. And I just listened to the president's speech, self-congratulatory, unbelievable. Bottom line here, 13 people dead, service members dead, unnecessary because of his bungle. But uh, my comments were, this is not a day to celebrate you know, the end of the war. There was no real war going on there. We had a holding operation, which was working very, very well. I said it was a disgrace, damn disgrace, that our honor was besmirched. Do you remember honor? Our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. Promises we make as a country will be there for you. We'll stay if we need to to get everyone out. Why? Betrayal. Terrible thing. Terrible thing. I said on TV what you've heard me say before, but I'll say it again. Ten years ago, we had 100,000 troops in Afghanistan, and uh, the Taliban controlled no provincial capitals. A month ago, we had 2,500 troops, a 97.5% reduction from 10 years earlier, and still the Taliban controlled no provincial capitals. So holding operation, keeping the Taliban at bay and making it possible for Afghanis to live and to thrive and for women to go to school and for people to walk around without fear. That's what 2500 was doing, backed up by Air Force, et cetera. President talks about total collapse of the Afghan army. Well, they collapsed all right when they heard that Americans were leaving. If you listen to the interview with Bing West, uh, you'll see that, uh, you know, that uh, U.S. support, no matter what the numbers, was critical. And once they knew the U.S. was leaving, they indeed did collapse. But as long as the U.S. was there, they didn't. So now we look at the situation over a 20-year period. 20 years ago, we defeated the Taliban. Two days ago, Taliban got a victory. They're celebrating in the streets. Fireworks went off last night. They're carrying around coffins uh, draped in flags from the different countries that have left U.S. prominent among them, uh, as if to say these people are dead, these countries are dead. British, I saw the British, French, American. 20 years ago, we defeated the Taliban. Three days ago, we gave them the country. And uh, more of them are there now than were there in 9-11. Also, ISIS is there. Al-Qaeda is there. Uh, Taliban is stronger than it was 20 years ago, and they have uh, $80 billion worth of our equipment, guns and helicopters and planes and Humvees, and they have hostages, people who are left behind, including that guy. Claude, did you hear about this? This uh, guy who uh, uh, 10 years ago, Biden was on a trip, helicopter had to go down because it was snowy in uh, Afghanistan. He and Senator Kerry um, had to be rescued. And this gentleman named Muhammad rescued him, drove up to the mountains, got him, got him to safety. Muhammad wrote the president yesterday, said, I need your help. Helped you. I need your help. Left behind. Left behind. Now what's going to happen to those hostages? I don't know. They're going to be paraded around. They're going to be beheaded. Probably not. They'll probably be sold for millions of dollars. I think they are hostages. What a shame. What a shame. Let's talk about the 13. Why were the 13 killed? The 13 were killed. 
because Biden decided that we had to get out and get out now and do it this way. So by doing it this way, without good planning, there was a rush to the airport. The crowds were huge. Taliban either didn't see these ISIS-K bombers coming or let them through. Either way, possible situation. And so they blew up a bomb and our guys were dead. No reason for them to have been killed because no reason to leave. Not when you were holding at bay with 2,500 troops, the Taliban, and giving people a free country. Maybe not a democracy, but something better than they had and something better than they will have. Quite extraordinary. Quite sad. Can't think of really a worse foreign policy blunder in a long time. Maybe in all of American history, I have to reread my books. One other thing uh, was exposed, Claude. Uh, the last day. You noticed that he met with the parents at Dover, Delaware. He met with the parents of the slain 13, the the killed Mm -hmm. 13. A lot of discussion by these parents in anger with him. Apparently some yelled at him. Some told him they weren't pleased to see him. I think one parent refused to meet with him. But there was a kind of consensus among several parents that when they met with him, he talked all about his son, uh, Bo. Mm-hmm. who died mm-hmm. in two, 2015, tragic, too bad. And he was a soldier, but he didn't die in a combat situation. Like these guys, he died of cancer at home. And this misses the point. The president, commander-in-chief, consoler-in-chief here, is not there to talk about his loss. He's there to listen. Not there to talk about his loss of six years ago. He's there to listen to the parents whose loss was three or four or five days ago. This notion of, you know, a lot of people wrote about the compassionate Biden, what an improvement on Trump, you know, he, he understands, he really has real sensitivity to people. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Went in there and looked at his watch, talked about his own son, and didn't really give them the time that they needed to talk about their son's daughters. That myth was exploded. What happens now? Well, I've been searching around on TV and I see CNN and MSNBC and networks kind of switching off to masks and vaccines and right-wing conspiracies. I think they'll try to change the subject. Will we remember this? Will enough Americans remember this? His approval ratings are down, not catechismically, but they're down, I think, 44% is the latest, which is not good. But if people forget this and say, well, that war's over, may rise again. By the way, you know, he keeps saying the American people were so tired of this war. I cannot remember, Claude, I want to ask you this too, over the last 10 years, I cannot remember meeting anybody casually in conversation, friends or other people talking about stuff saying, God, we've got to end this war in Afghanistan. We've got to. Was this really something that was tremendously burdensome on the American people? Were there really thousands or millions of Americans saying, God, end this war? Did you ever hear this come up in Casual conversation, Claude? No, I didn't hear it come up in casual conversations, but I also think that there wasn't a lot of, I won't say awareness. People knew that we were there, but I didn't, I didn't come across a lot of, a lot of desire to be there or care for the effort, um, if that makes any sense, too. So, no, I didn't hear a lot of, we got to get out of there, got to get out of there. But I didn't hear a lot of, you know, man, we're doing a really good job fighting terrorism. And I think people, I, I honestly, and it saddens me, but I really think people forgot about it and forgot about the mission and forgot about how we felt as a country after 9-11 and how we wanted to go after terrorism. There were people who were literally scared to get on airplanes, get on trains, go to the malls. And I think we forgot that. And that's why we were there. That's fair. That's mm-hmm. fair. The point is, it wasn't on people's minds. And that's my point. You know, we had to end this war. This war in America, people are sick and tired. Not in my experience were they sick and tired, nor were they focused on. We had this tiny force. I mean, did you hear anything about we got to get out of South Korea? 
we got to get out of Japan where we have huge numbers of people. No, no, people accept this as a reality for a responsible power. To be continued, Claude, to be continued. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Joining us now is Bing West. Bing, welcome to the show. Uh, delighted to have you, Bing. Thank you, Bill. Two pieces I want to talk about. Keep the Pineapple Express rolling. How to rescue more Afghans after Biden's decline. Uh, the point of your piece, was written with Paul Wolfowitz, uh, is uh, how to keep it rolling, and it talks about government. That is, we're talking about people in Afghanistan, and you have a suggestion here once we pull out, which looks like it's inevitable, uh, the 31st. Again, people will be listening to this in a couple of days, but you suggested involvement of the government. Can you explain that a little bit, please? Sure. I am uncertain whether President Biden, number one, listens to anyone, or number two, really really understands what he's doing at certain points. And the purpose of us writing in the Wall Street Journal, we said, what you have to do is have a finding. Now, what that means is that the president of the United States, this is required by congressional law, notifies the right committees in Congress that he finds it in his in the national interest of the United States to do something by clandestine means involving the CIA. So his finding would be it is in the interest of the United States to evacuate those Afghans who are it were extremely loyal to us. The minute he does that, this enables the CIA to take money, manpower, operatives, logistics, and set up an entire system to do it. And it brings in the Congress. The Congress has to approve this. Now, the reason we wrote the article is I don't believe President Biden intends to do this. I think, however, now we're trying to alert the senators and congressmen, come on, go and ask for this and say we want to continue to get out those Afghans who are loyal to us. All right, let me let me just interrupt quote from your piece. To keep at least part of his promise, which he may or may not keep, the president needs to authorize clandestine exfiltration. What's an exfiltration? That's where you take somebody out? The Underground Railroad. You, you, okay. you figure out a way of getting them out. All right. To authorize clandestine exfiltrations by declaring to the relevant congressional committees that continuing the evacuation is in the national interest. Such a declaration, commonly called a finding, is then delivered to a congressional committee with oversight of covert operations. It then form- formally authorizes a clandestine program. So you're, you're, a, you're essentially, you and Paul Wolfowitz in this piece, are, are urging the president, asking the president, recommending to the president that he do this, right? Correct. With the hope that some senators then now go to him and say, hey, let's do this. It's a way to get people out. Otherwise, he's going to, you know, I, I guess you could appeal to the political instinct. If you don't do this, um, you know, our people may get stuck and you'll never get them out. And you'll be and you'll be well, no. slaughtered, slaughtered for it. Well, worse, Bill, I think that the other way of getting our people out is that we, the Taliban, put price tags on them. And say, oh, you want this guy $1 million. You want that guy $2 million. And Uh they'll extract a huge amount of money from us. And we'll begin to give them aid. And the World Bank will come in to help them. So it will be millions millions for tribute, not one cent for defense. You know, that old thing. I sure do. Um, Yeah, as we are speaking, and again, we're speaking 
on Monday, the 30th, the day before the evacuation. There's discussion, and I heard the Secretary of State say, well, you know, we didn't say we won't need to fight Pineapple Express, but by his remarks suggested, because he said they're all going to get out because the Taliban has said it, they, they want to get them out and they want international recognition. They want they want to be recognized. Once comes this notion that these uh, 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 criminal states, these uh, these these terrorist organizations, these the Chinese communists, the Russians all want more than anything else good reputation in the world that's just a lot of bunk isn't it well it what isn't bunk is they would love to have us sit down to talk to them seriously yeah. and give yeah. them money what they want is the money from the world bank the money from us and i'm afraid with the, with secretary blinken and and this 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 administration, yeah. they're liable to get it, Bill. We're yeah. liable at some point to be giving the Taliban hard cash. Paying ransom then. Um, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, I, I, this goes back uh, to Taliban. This goes back to your big piece, which I want to talk about, which I want to focus on. Who will trust us after Afghanistan? Um, I, I, the last uh, podcast we did, getting a lot of response, was with Ambassador Ryan Crocker. Uh, I, I know him. I like him. I don't know if you know him and like him like I do. I do. He's, good, yeah, he's okay. a good guy. Very good guy. Yeah. Uh, he said he was pretty uh, – we're getting some – pushback from my audience. He was pretty tough on Trump. I'll pick up on your phrase. He said, but first, by recognizing the Taliban and negotiating with the Taliban and then going around the Afghan government in that way. And then, you know, there, I didn't realize till I read deeper, there've been two releases of prisoners. There yeah. was a re- release. Of, go ahead. You, you tell us what they were, please. There was one release of prisoners by President Trump. He forced the Afghans to do it. Then there was a second release of prisoners that President Biden was responsible for because the hardcore, hardcore were at Bagram. And when we ran away from Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night, we left the prison unguarded and they all left the next day, 5,000 of the hardcore. So both President Trump and President Biden allowed hardcore Taliban to be released from prison. I want to go back to uh, early 2000s as your piece takes us, because you take in in this wonderful piece, what would link up to it, the the stages of the development in the the war in Afghanistan. But I just want to pause on this point. Was it a mistake for President Trump to set Mike Pompeo to meet with the Taliban and thereby recognize the Taliban? In my judgment, it was a terrible mistake. I believe that President Trump, in many ways, was had good policies, but in other ways, the man was an egotist who just cared about himself. So I come down like Ambassador Crocker. I have no more use for President Trump than I did for President Biden, except President Trump's policies were better. But as a human being... I am very wary of President Trump and the idea that we had to get out of Afghanistan by both presidents, I believe, was incorrect. We did not have to do that. I want to get into that, but just one last question. President Trump's uh, spokesman and President Trump himself, and I just heard Mike Abeo, a friend of mine, said, oh, no, 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 you know, we wouldn't have done it this way. We would have had these conditions and we... We certainly wouldn't have done it this way. I listened carefully to what President, what Secretary Pompeo just said, and I believe in his heart when I was listening to him that what Secretary Pompeo was saying, look, if the Taliban had continued to act the way they were, 
I probably would have persuaded the president that we weren't going any farther. I thought that was really what he was saying, that the funny thing about President Trump is, you, you know, he'd come out and he'd make a big blustery statement. And then he'd go and he'd listen to, to his advisors and he'd say, well, maybe I went a little bit too far. And then he'd figure out a way of you know, backing off it. And I thought the president, that, that Secretary Pompeo was saying, we never under these conditions would have left Afghanistan. That's what I thought he was saying. They wouldn't have left this way, would they, do you think? Right. No, no, no. No, right. There's no question about that. No, no question, question about that. Okay, okay. And, and you know, Crocker in the interview said, look, I really fault President Trump for this deal with the Taliban, recognizing the Taliban, letting out the prisoners. But uh, Biden owns this thing right now, the way it's been done, lock, stock, and barrel. I um, totally agree with that. It, it is unfair of President Biden to be even mentioning President Trump. President Biden overturned every other good thing yeah, President Trump yeah. did. Let the southern border just go to hell so he can get votes. I am very cynical about President Biden. No, no, it's abs- absolutely. Yeah, the latest thing the president said about bin Laden, did you see that, President Trump? No, 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 no. Uh, interview not. just the other day, he said getting bin Laden was not that big a deal. I think it was a big deal. Well, we worked very hard to do that. The intelligence yeah. community worked for many years. But getting bin Laden again proved that Pakistan is treacherous. Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely treacherous. All right, I want to go back uh, to your great article. This is really great, and I want everybody to read it. Uh, Who will trust us after Afghanistan? Very helpful, too. Let me jump into Afghanistan this way, because I was very taken with this. Uh, Ryan Crocker said, I want to go back to another thing Ryan Crocker said, and it's one of the main things I remember for the interview with him. He said, you know, when I was there, we had about uh, 100,000 troops. And the Taliban controlled none of the provincial provinces, uh, provincial capitals. Uh, two weeks ago this year, we had about 2,500 troops. The Taliban controlled no provincial capitals. I said, how did we manage to do it with 2,500 compared to 100,000? I said, because we were still there. And the presence of the U.S., the, you know, the air cover, but the presence of the U.S. assured them that they were being covered. I think there's some echoes of that in your piece. Is that right? Is that fair? Totally fair. It, it, I mean, I've been, as you know, I've been on a lot of battlefields throughout my life, you know, yes, years sir. in Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And when you're out with local troops, what they love about America is they feel, and I've written a book about, about this entitled The Strongest Tribe. They feel now they're linked with the strongest tribe. And because of radios, radios now can go everywhere. I don't care what fight they were in, where in Afghanistan. A lieutenant could get on the radio and say, I really need help. And that phone call would go right into our operations center, and there would be an aircraft within, no matter where he was, within 15 minutes. And our aircraft today, Bill, are so good, we can pick out individuals on the ground. I mean, can you imagine that from an aircraft? And, and, And the Taliban knew this. The locals, the, the local forces that were fighting for us knew this. So they knew no matter what the fight was, actually, the tougher the fight, the higher the probability you were going to get some air over your head. And as a result, the, the Taliban could hold on to the rural areas forever, but they couldn't get into the city. So it was a stalemate. We had stalemated the war. We weren't doing well in the countryside. They couldn't get into the cities. 
And we could have continued that. We could have continued that for another hundred years and no one would know anything about it. Do you know that there was no reporting out of Afghanistan? None. There was no, the, the, the American public didn't care whether we stayed or left as they do with most things. We've been in Korea, you know, for, for 75 years, everyone shrugs their shoulders. We weren't having people killed in Afghanistan. We were using our air power and we were keeping the terrorists, the Islamist terrorists off balance both in Pakistan and in Afghanistan. And we could have done that for another 100 years oh, or, or, or something. We had it down to, we literally had it down to a science, literally. Yeah, and, and this was 2,500 guys, right? Well, 2,500 guys, but, but there were at least 5,000 contractors maintaining the, the, okay. the aircraft. But none, okay. of them, none of them were in combat. They were, they, were, they were, none of them were anywhere near combat, none. Okay. Okay. But... There was no, I mean, it's what we should have done, right? I mean, quite apart from how Biden did it, there wasn't any reason to take those 2,500 out and the 5,000 contractors out, was there? There was, in my judgment, there was no reason whatsoever. It was costing us about 2% of the defense budget, 2%. And we had the, we had the terrorists in, Af, in Pakistan as well as in Afghanistan in the crosshairs all the time, all the time. And I think gradually over, over time, what would have happened if we put more pressure on Pakistan is that they would have begun to crack down on the sanctuary they had with the Taliban. Because without, without, sanctuary, without the sanctuary in Pakistan, the Taliban could not continue to do what they were doing. Eventually, we could have done that with the same numbers? No, all we would have had to do, and, and we were becoming more and more disabused with Pakistan, is gradually to cut off all the aid. You know, Pakistan cannot sustain itself. Right. The international community in the United States sustained Pakistan. And at the same time, we're allowing them to, to give harbor to all these terrorists. Well, sooner or later, you were going to have a president who said, hey, Mr. Pakistan, we're tired of this. You get no more dough as long as you continue that crap. Would you elaborate? A l- uh, that's very interesting. And I, I agree with that. Would you elaborate a little more? Because I was very taken in your piece about the, uh, the crackle on the radio. You just mentioned the radio. Hearing the, the Americans and what effect that had on the Afghans. There's been discussion of the Afghan fighting force, some real disparagement of them uh, by some people. Um, but, the, but the significance of the U.S. support of them making a big difference in their willingness, willingness as well as ability to fight. Well, as long as they knew we were somehow at the other end of that phone and wham, that, that, that aircraft would be there. And then that finger of God would point down by laser means toward the Taliban and bam, the Taliban will be gone. You knew that you had big brother always with you. It was like, you know, oh, you want to pick a fight with me? Look who's in the back seat. As long as we had that, then the, the Afghan forces, knowing that they had all kinds of sloppy stuff above them in their own chain of command, they could still be out there because they had us. And the minute we just quit, the minute we ran away, the minute we left Bagram in the middle of the night, that was the big signal to me. They, they said, well, they're gone. I'm screwed. You know, so we self-imposed this. We did it. General Miller, Scott Miller, did a very good job. Is that right? Oh, a terrific warfighter, terrific warfighter. Um, 
We well, did it on a, on a shoestring. I mean, he, but he knew ex- he was special operations forces. He was supposed to take over the Joint Special Operations Command, and instead they sent him here. Scott Scott Norris is, is a legend among the, the the special operators. What about the other generals? <sighs> I'd rather not talk about them. Okay. I just feel that I just feel that General Milley got out over. He's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Got out over his skis, beginning to talk about things about. I don't know what do they call it. Uh, what is this CRT? I keep forgetting it. Critical race theory or something. And yes, sir. I, he, yes, sir. He came out. He came out and said wacky things like, "I don't understand white rage." Wait, wait, General. What are you doing? Stay in your own lane. Yeah, and, no. and I wrote an article about that and said they have to be careful about recruiting. You know, who, who who wants to come into a force that you're going to be promoted according to the color of your skin? It's supposed to be a meritocracy in the military. So I, I am very, very wary of where General Milley has been going and where the chief of naval operations has been going. I think all of a sudden they're, 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 they're getting into all this racial stuff. That, that, that's, that is not an issue inside the United States military, and they're making it an issue. So I, I'm, not a big, I'm not a big believer in them. And then I think they screwed this one up totally. Yeah, and I want to go to the last sentence of your piece, but I just want to read this part over the, the part you were just talking about. Uh, no, matter, uh, no matter how tough the conditions, talking about the Afghan military, somehow an American voice crackled over the radio, followed by thunder from the air. Those few Americans were the steel rods and the concrete. When that steel was pulled out, the concrete crumbled, and the spirit of the Afghan army was broken. It's really good. I, I don't know where Marines could write that well, really. I didn't know that. Well, the same thing happened, in, in, and I watched it in Vietnam because I was the special assistant at the time to Secretary of Defense Jim Schlesinger, a wonderful man. You know, the, once, once the South Vietnamese realized we weren't going to give them any aid, we were not going to give them any air support. Most people don't realize this. We cut off all air support to the South Vietnamese, cut it off, and we cut our aid in half. And then we said, well, they fell. Well, they fell, and we have, our hands were very dirty with that. But, but the, the narrative grew up and has taken hold. Oh, it was inevitable they would fall. No, it wasn't inevitable they would fall. We quit, and once we quit, that made all the difference in the world. And we didn't quit in South Korea. We stayed there. We didn't quit in Germany. Yeah. I'm, I'm very concerned, Bill. I'm very concerned with, with where we're going with this country, you know, and this the, 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 the extreme partisanship that, that has crept in and, and given individual presidents so much power that they can just Understand. do what the heck they want. Understand. And, and you'll excuse my slide. I don't want the audience to misunderstand. I was just giving you a little grief about the writing. You're a great sure. writer. A lot of Marines are great writers. But I can't, I, if I can get a dig in at you at, a, at any opportunity, Bing, I will. You know that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, The Last Platoon was a pretty good novel. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> if I, if I get a chance, old. if I get a chance, I'm going to dig in. If he gets a chance, I'm going to plug in. That's exactly. Right. That's, the way, that's the way we operate here. Let's go to the end here. You said, you know, who are we as a country? Who will fight for us now? Quite apart from the CRT, which could discourage a lot of people. Um, by the way, I noticed, you know, those Marines who died were mostly white. Um, you know, and Hispanic, this, and Hispanic, and, and, and White Hispanic, and Hispanic, and Hispanic. Yep. absolutely. And, and, yep, yep. But there, there was this it, notion around a while that it was, you know, you know, the military and the Marines are 
you know, it was a, it was all, it was all a black man's fighting force, you know, white generals. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. untrue. Uh, and yeah. in fact, uh, the, the, the African-Americans are less uh, are liked, likely to come into the Marine Corps, but Hispanics are more likely. Yeah. So we have yeah. a, I, but I am, I am concerned that if you keep losing wars and you, you, you keep having retreats like this, yeah. and then Who you wants to join? this critical, yeah, after a while, you have to begin to wonder, well, who wants to, and can you imagine the parents when you say, I want to be a Marine, and they yeah. immediately see these images, and they're not images of winning, they're images of losing. I mean, this is this is awful. There's no way of whitewashing this thing. No, 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 you're absolutely right. When we visited our uh, our son, uh, who's then, you know, platoon leader, Lieutenant Bennett in uh, California, he said, all my guys are Hispanic, you know. And uh, sure. you know, he's a great, great guys, and his his gutty Hispanic, and that was the guy, of course, who was explaining to him, the college boy, how everything works, right? Exactly, exactly. You always let the platoon sergeant handle the platoon. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, just a personal reflection. It's another thing in the air here, Bing. Um, and that's this. I just heard it on on TV. They were talking about one of the Marines who died. So died in combat. He didn't really die in combat, did he? Um, you know, I, one of the things I, I, let me just make my point. One of the things that's in the air is, you know, uh, we can't, I've heard these two presidents say we can't risk the lives of any more servicemen. Why not? Why not? I mean, isn't that what they sign up for? Um, you know, not to be sitting ducks, you know, in a turkey shoot, as someone said. But these guys are, are, are ready to risk their lives if the cause is good. And if we're about to win it, you tell me you were there, you've been there in so many places. I have been nowhere uh, in, 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 in combat. Uh, but if you, if you were to take 10 Marines there who are inside the fence and say to them, okay, we're going out to get some of our people, Americans here in Kabul, uh, you know, you may get killed. Three of you may not come back. Uh, how many want to go? They'd all go, wouldn't they? Every time. And, and the, 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 you know the point I'm getting at. Like, you know the point I'm getting at. We can't risk the life of an American soldier. Since when? No, but, they, but, but they volunteered because they wanted to be tested. I mean, yes, the point yes, is sir. that the person, who, the person who goes into the infantry and the Army or the Special Forces or the SEALs, or the Marines, he is volunteering to go with a rifle, and you do only one thing with a rifle. And in the back of his mind, practically every single one of them wants to be tested in combat. That's just a fact. Um, yeah. And that's the kind of, kind of young man you want out there. And, and he, it's drilled into him. I mean, I really like when, when before Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis resigned, um, I really liked what he said to the entire Pentagon. He said, never forget the lodestone of the military is lethality, lethality. Yeah. And you should judge everything you do by, does it make my force more lethal? And that begins with that infantryman at the tip of the spear. I heard, by the way, Bill, and I've heard this from very good sources, that on Many occasions over the last four or five days in Kabul, the Marines and the soldiers have actually gone outside the wire. Now, not only for 100 or 200 yards, 300 yards, to get 
different groups of people that have been identified as being American citizens or visas and brought them back in. So eventually, a suicide bomber did get to one of these groups, but, but there were many doing this. They were going out, bringing them back, going out, bringing them back, and they were doing that at the platoon level. That wasn't some general giving an order. That was a sergeant saying, and, you know, they were getting information. They'd say there'd be a group over here and they'd be waving a, a, a red flag or something, you know, some way of indicating that a group that had been brought in by this Pineapple Express was there. And then they'd go out and get them and pull them back in. I'm really uh, pleased to hear that. Because I was. I mean, the, the bravery is there. The bravery still exists. Oh, there's no question. I mean, because I was hearing a lot of us heard you comment on how true it is that the British were doing that, going out and getting their people. The French were doing that, but that we were not doing that. But oh, we yeah. Were. Oh, and, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, and, oh. <laughs> and, and we also have what's called the Special Activities Division of the CIA, and they are, they are the older, if you will, because they've been recruited out of the Marines and Army. They're older, but they're all doing the same thing. Uh, and they're all intermingled with each other. And, and they, they, we just keep our mouth shut about it. But no, no, no. There was a lot of stuff that was going on there. I'm sure we'll find out about, about a year when somebody writes a book or something. But it wasn't just the British and the French that were doing it. We were doing it. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, we're not going to get... Uh, everybody out and again for the, for the audience listening here on on Thursday. Um, we uh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? All this, they just turned away all those poor students. They, That's right. Those, they they, That's they right. were on buses, so they're all identified now by the by the by the Taliban. Over a hundred of them on the buses, and the, and and because of the danger of an explosive or something. They had to tell them, no, you have to go home. Oh, so they're not getting out, but the Taliban know exactly who everyone is in the bus. That's just, I mean, this idea that we actually gave any information to the Taliban about individual, I think that's crazy. You know, we were saying, you know, let them through. And in certain cases, maybe they did. But in other cases, they've collected a lot of information. But if I got back to the level, the whole thing is now going to turn into Cuba. You know, the, the, the Cuba, no one, every single block has spies on it, spying on other people. I no. mean, the, the society of Afghanistan is, is going to be racked with internal dissension. But those 300 Americans uh, or whatever's left, whoever's left, they're not going to be beheaded. They're going to be held for ransom, right? As you said at the beginning, isn't that more likely? I think it'll, it, the answer is yes. I mean, yes. I mean, clearly, clearly the... Clearly, the Taliban have understand now, oh, we, we have to start thinking of how we're going to get money. And they're good at that. I mean, they, they've been running these drug deals, you know, $500 million a year in drugs and heroin leaves Afghanistan every year, goes into Pakistan and then into Iran. So they're not, they're not, they, they know their points of leverage. So it's not that, it's not that they're going to line Americans up against the wall and shoot them. <laughs> They're going to try to figure out different ways of saying, well, you give me another million, you know, different ways of getting money. That's what it's extortion, blackmail. That's what this is going to come down to. We're going to know it or are we just going to hear, yep, we've got 10 more out today. We got 10 more out tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. We're going to know it's extortion, blackmail. 
Oh, I mean, the, the, incent- the, the, the administration has no incentive whatsoever to use the word extortion or blackmail. They will do everything they can to avoid ever anyone ever hearing those words. And they will, I, my instinct would be they'll let somebody know that somebody's out if it helps them politically. If it doesn't, yeah. they're going to try to, you know, so that's what I think. I think we're going into a very messy time, but I think the credibility of President Biden now in, in, yeah. the, in the world is just Yeah. Uh, what happens in that region now that we're gone? What's the effect on us, our children, our grandchildren? Well, I, I, as far as Afghanistan is concerned, I believe it's going to be minimal for the following reason. When you think, how, how were we attacked on 9-11? Uh, Saudis who, who were trained with al-Qaeda had passports. No one with passports is going to be allowed out you know, from the Taliban region. I mean, who's going to accept them? So I'm not that concerned with direct attacks here. What I am concerned about, Bill, more than anything else, is the long-term effect of what has been happening in this country with extreme partisanship. Madison, when setting up the Constitution, had the concept that the Congress of the United States would have certain powers, the presidency would have certain powers, and you'd have competition offsetting competition. So that the vision was the Congress would want to keep its prerogatives of power, and they had the power to declare war. And then the executive undertakes the war, but only with the resources given by Congress. So there was a balance of power. Now you get to extreme partisanship where, for instance, take the Democratic Party today, where Pelosi and, and, Secretary, and Senator Schumer will not say one word that in any way says anything that could hurt President Biden politically, and they align right away with the president. That gives all the power to the presidency. The same happened when President Trump was there with the Republicans. And, and so and then before that with President Obama and the Democrats, so that you pivoted. And then if you look at what am I worried about for my children and my children's children, I'm worried about two things. Number one, I'm worried about that you get Congress giving so much power to the presidency that the president, it just becomes what he thinks on any day, his whimsy rather than a balance of power. And second, we're going to accumulate so much debt that once the interest on that debt has to be paid at three or 4%, we're going to have to devalue our currency and our children and our children's children are going to have rampant inflation. And I'm worried about us becoming the Brazil of North America. Okay, so your major worries at home. You're not worried about losing Afghanistan. On the larger scheme of things, not Afghanistan per se, but what it showed about us as a country and the power of a presidency to do whatever he wants, that's what really worries me. What about t- hatching more terrorist attacks and launching? You said no, because I didn't get that because of passports. What did what did you mean? No, I, I, I know it was well, Saudis. Yeah, what I meant what I meant there was America here at home. Western Europe Western Europe has has more of a problem now than than we do about this. They, they just haven't begun to recognize it. Okay, how you have more terrorists now in Afghanistan? No question, it's a sanctuary for terrorists. Then the terrorists have to ask. How the heck do I get out of Afghanistan and go somewhere to blow somebody else up? 
the minute that the minute you ask that question, you you have to say, well, how do I get how do I get papers? You know, how do I show who I am when I'm stopped at a border? All that kind of stuff. That means that the Afghan reputation is going to be so low. If you're carrying Afghan papers and saying, here's my Afghan passport, you might as well be putting a red sign on yourself. So I'm, I'm not that concerned with more terrorism coming from Afghanistan to the United States. I am much more concerned that you, 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 gradually, get, you gradually get America just doesn't have it anymore. America yeah. isn't a real power. It can be yeah. pushed around. I'm yeah. much more concerned with the larger, the larger context of it. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, 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 I'm concerned about that too, but I'll, you know, the partisanship, I, I mean, I, I will confess I'm a partisan. I become one. I was a Democrat for 25 years and I switched to Republican and always been pretty conservative, but, uh, you know, I think my party left me, but now that, that old party is crazy. I gotta be a partisan. Democrats are friggin' crazy. I mean, they're not criticizing Biden for put the Afghanistan aside. For for the border, the southern border, a million people. I mean, I, do I have any choice? Am I supposed to say, well, on the one hand, uh, you know, it's a it's a mess. On the other hand, there's some. Re- I mean, well, I got to be partisan. Well, th- this is this is the exact dilemma that George Washington, this farewell address that most people have forgotten. He, he, he they said he was he was saying, don't become entangled with Europe. No, yeah. he was saying that there was that, that the Republicans at the Republican Party at the time under Jefferson was becoming so radical in, 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 in George Washington's view of, about different things that he said extreme partisanship is going to be the thing that he worried about most when he was dying. So, I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, it, this this tilt in, in our education system, the whole thing, I don't know how it comes back to center. I'm working on that. I'm working on that. That's, that's my kind of my full-time job, but, but, but I, you know, I can't do it myself, obviously, but, but yeah, no, I agree. Look, I think, you know, back to my, my work philosophy, Plato said there are two essential questions. Who gets to teach the children? What do we teach them? And uh, we're not doing a very good job. We're not doing a very good job. And the wussification of, of men uh, I, I mean, I think the whole gender thing is is, is is a fundamental attack on civilization, the differences between men and women. But that's another that's another story. I couldn't agree with you more that the education system as a system, beginning in grammar school, and those who choose to become teachers and what they're teaching, is the greatest single threat to a solid America that dwarfs any other threat. Dwarfs any <laughs> other threat. Good for you. I remember, you know, when I was secretary of education uh, toward schools, I ended up going out in 120 different schools. And I was going through my notes. And there in 1986, uh, I was looking at a bulletin board in a middle school. And it was in big letters. You are the most important person in your life. Uh, right. uh, and I said, man, you know, this is going to cause us some trouble <laughs> down the line. <laughs> yes. We're, and and boy, it's been ingested. And uh, you know, how do you how do, how do you how do you get the gumption to see what you've seen a thousand times? I haven't seen it. You know, carry out a guy who's been wounded. If you think you're the most important thing in life, 
Well, if you have self-esteem and it's not based upon anything you have achieved, it's just based upon people telling you that you won a trophy for, for existing, then that under undercuts discipline. It undercuts merit. It undercuts trying hard. It undercuts having to achieve anything. It just, it just, I, I agree with you. It's just totally nuts. Yeah. Um, here's one you can take home. Uh, math, you know, Chinese are first. Uh, we're 28th in math. But then there was another question they gave in one of these international tests. How do you feel about your knowledge of math? The Chinese said, we didn't know enough, kids. And we felt the best of all nations. Oh, math? Totally cool. Can you can you do it? No, but I'm totally cool. Uh, that is, our self-esteem about math was high. Our knowledge of math was was not. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's just so pathetic, you know. But yeah. we taught, we, we've taught that. We've taught that. Feel good about yourself. You didn't get the answer right. Feel good about yourself. Anyway. All right. I, I, I digress. Uh, but I did want to ask about, okay, so the Taliban gets smart, doesn't cut people's heads off, holds them for ransom for, you know, millions, millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to the U.S. But what happens to the women in Afghanistan? Do the Taliban oh. respect that or, or not? Is, is, is it, are we back to the dark ages? For them, the answer is yes. And, and this, this then becomes a prototype or a model, unfortunately, I think for, you have to be careful of my words, but, but the Muslim religion, Islam has an issue that only Islam can solve about how it treats people and how it treats women. And we as Americans and, and the Europeans, the NATO in Afghanistan were making great strides the other way. And, and, and there was, if you will, the beginning of an enlightenment. And, and now all that's shut out. And, and, you know, I really don't think that President Biden cared. He didn't, didn't think of it at all. I never believed in nation building. I was always opposed to it. I wrote a book called The Wrong War, opposed to what we're doing in Afghanistan. But I did recognize that once you go down that road, there is something infectious about Americans and and the European values, the, the, the values that we held. And we were making dramatic strides for the better for the entire society and especially for women and education. And, and at some point, I think you do undertake an obligation because you've begun down, you've gone down that road. And then just to say, yeah, oh, President Biden said, what interest do we have in Afghanistan? Oh, my goodness. I mean, uh, my goodness. And then he says, I'm off for human rights. You can't be both. You can't be saying I'm going to have an administration that's about human rights and then take the human rights away from the one country where we've spent 20 years trying to inculcate those human rights. I mean, I just think it was wrong. It was morally wrong. And now we've left that poor country impoverished and we've we've left the, the, the we've we've extinguished hope. We've we've done away with their education system. We've set back all the the, the liberal values that we had for women. All of it's gone. All of it's gone. What do we gain by this? I mean, it's, it I think it was a I think it was a terrible, terrible decision that will haunt us for many years, many years. Okay, so the Taliban is smart and deals uh, ransom for uh, Americans, but then goes back to the its its beliefs. Is is I asked Crocker, Ambassador Crocker, I said, is is it plausible that there's a conversation going on between a mother and her daughter 
daughter being 18, you know, born in 2003, that says, you know, you've enjoyed school and studying architecture and all that, and wearing dresses and so on, but that's over. That won't happen anymore. And you'll have to wear this and some rough man you've never met may come in and take you as his wife. I said, do we look to that in the future? Crocker said, it's already happening. It was last week. You have to think the, the, these, I mean, you're, you're an educated woman in Kabul and all of a sudden it's, it's like almost like the Khmer Rouge taking over Phnom Penh in 1975. You have these rough guys who've been out there in the trenches forever filled with testosterone. Now they're inside your city how nice are they going to be? You will never know because we're going to be out of their bill. After two days from now, we're going to know nothing about Afghanistan. Do you realize that? For two reasons. First, no Western reporter is staying there. Ooh. And second, the, the American press doesn't want to hear about it because the mainstream press doesn't like this because it's really not reflecting well on the Democrats or on President Biden. So they have no incentive beginning today with the hurricane in, in uh, Louisiana, they have no incentive to continue reporting what's happening. And we're going to be out of there in two days and it's going to be a great silence. And we're not be invisible. To be All this will be invisible. It won't be some videotape that'll sneak out. Correct. There will be. And, and if it does, it won't get too much play. It's, it's it, 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 a great silence is going to occur starting in about two days. But the irony, I guess, I guess, is it still, is it true as well, then, that not only was that force of 2,500 soldiers and 5,000 contractors, you said, take care of the airplanes, et cetera, was keeping the Taliban from control of the provincial capitals, but was also responsible for the fact that these girls could grow up in relative freedom. Oh, of course. Because, I mean, actually, it, 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 and we'll, we won't know, but I believe that, that Af- Afghan society was changing between the rural and the urban areas. And I, I, I don't know enough that it's to really discuss that, you know, but, but obviously when you were in an urban area, things were much more relaxed, if, if you will. And then when the minute you got back out into the countryside, it was the old Afghan of the ninth century. So there was a, a, a great change occurring. And I don't know where that would have taken. I'm not a sociologist and don't want to be a sociologist. <clears throat> but there was a great change occurring, and that now has stopped. But for a girl who's 18, this has been her whole life, and it's now shattered. Not just one girl. Yeah, no, about 10 million. Name, name a million. million. Yeah, five, yeah, yeah, millions, millions. And I, I want to make one thing clear, though. I do not believe that the Taliban are ignorant enough that they're going to try to bargain one American at a time. That, 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 that could blow up in their faces. It'll be more subtle. It will have to do with the World Bank has to come in. We have to contribute to the World Bank. They have enough smart people to figure out ways in which they can put a little bit of paper wrapping around the odor and stink that's underneath. You, you see what I mean? They'll, yes, sir. They'll, yes, they'll sir. figure this out. You know, and kind, of, look, kind, of, kind of a laundering, money laundering and concept laundering process. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And all of this could have been prevented. 
with 2,500 soldiers, 5,000 contractors, air cover for, as you said, maybe, maybe another 100 years. That's not that big, you know, big a price. What would you say, 2% of the defense budget? Maybe 3% of the defense budget, yeah. And you would have had a stalemate there. And I can't, I can't project what would have, you know, how that would have worked out over the long term. I can't project. But, but the, the American public had forgotten about Afghanistan. The American public, something like five minutes of press in the last year for Afghanistan until President Biden decided to pull the plug. Five minutes of press. Nobody cared anymore. There wasn't anybody being killed. So now you comes the great silence, Chicago. right? You you want to fight? Go to Chicago. You you, you know no yeah. fighting going on. Now, now comes come, the now comes the great silence. Colonel West, Secretary West, we thank you, sir. Thank you for your service to our country on many occasions. Well, thank and you, thank, Bill. And we do have one more this. thing. We do have one more thing. We have to remember. Okay, you and I talked. Uh, I, I watched. I, I watched New England Patriots last night. I, I'm, I'm telling you, that game on three October against uh, Brady and and you know all those guys from down in Tampa Bay, that's going to be one heck of a game. You thought it's going to be a runaway for Tampa Bay. I don't think so. Uh, uh, okay, and your and your your definition of seriousness is how much? Let's wait until we get. I'm not. I'm not quite. You know. You, do you drink beer? Well, you're talking about the World Bank and ransom. Let's talk some money. Here. <laughs> well, no, no. Yeah, you know. I, you know. Listen, when I play golf, I play for fifty cents for for eighteen holes. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not a big. I'm not a big better. But we'll figure out something reasonable. Do you ever go to Gillette Stadium? Oh, you can't. You you can't possibly get in. Oh my gosh, goodness. Yeah, Seen the tickets, the, the cost of the tickets. They're out of our league. You know, we'd have to become hedge fund managers, you know, out in Palo Alto. I'll bet. Gosh, I'll yeah. bet. I'll bet. I'll bet. No, the return of Brady to Boston will be uh, will be something. Oh. But but he will uh I, you know, I, I have to tell you, I mean, I think Belichick's a great coach, but I think Brady contributed thirty percent of it to that luster. Oh no, I, I, I totally agree with that. I just think that you know, Belichick is going to pull out everything he possibly can. I think it'll be a very low-scoring game. I mean, assuming that, that everyone is healthy on both sides, and you just that's a variable. But it's happening so early in the season, it'll probably be full, full on on both sides. Brady is old. Anyway, I mean, he's, almost, he's almost as old as you are. No. Oh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> no. No, he's not. Bad. Yeah. Did you hear this story? I don't know if it's true. Yeah. Our audience will tell me, but I've been saying because I, I I heard it on uh, sports talk. Brady was offered thirty million or forty million for next year, and he said, "I'm okay. You know, I got loads of money. I'll take ten and take the rest of it. That other twenty million for offensive linemen, particularly on my left side. You know, the blind side. You know." I've I've heard the same story without the exact numbers, but but clearly he did give he has given something back, which shows at some point he has the common sense to say I don't need money anymore. This, this need, is more important. Yeah, right. that's pretty. I don't need money. I need I need not to get sacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be walking away. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Thank you, Bay. Thank you, Colonel. All right, thank, thank you, Bill. Great okay. American. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Right. 
Claude, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. Like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.